Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. So there's sensitive periods for language, there's sensitive periods for maths, um, there's sensitive periods for order and lots of things like this. And knowing that your child will come to it when their sensitive period is activated means you can relax and trust that the child will learn when they're ready. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 271. Today, we're talking about Montessori at home and at school with Simone Davies. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confidence kids. Hey, welcome back to the Mindful Mama podcast, my friend. I'm so happy you are here. In just a moment, we are going to be sitting down with Simone Davies, author of The Montessori Toddler and the blog and podcast, The Montessori Notebook. And Simone runs parent-child Montessori classes in Amsterdam at her school, Jacaranda Tree Montessori, and she's the mother to two young adults. And I'm so excited to talk to you about this because my kids have been in Montessori schools all the way through their education now. My oldest daughter, Nagy, is now in eighth grade in a 
public charter Montessori school that I was on the board, the founding board for. And so it's a free public Montessori school here in the state of Delaware, the first one. And it's such a powerful system of education that I learned about in my education courses in grad school. And Montessori is, you know, it's this innovative education modality that puts this great emphasis on preparing the environment to help children succeed. And then they follow children's sensitive periods for more individualized learning. So if you were ever in a situation where you're like, you know, you were obsessed with one thing as a kid, learning one thing, Montessori really capitalizes on that and helps children to like go further and faster with the things that they are in a sensitive period for, which is really cool. They have prepared some amazing creative thinkers who can really take a project from start to finish, including Jeff Bezos, founder of Amazon, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, founders of Google, Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, the famous author, and Helen Keller. So we wanna bring a little bit of that power into our own homes, and today we're going to talk about how to do that and the whole mindset shifts that are involved in Montessori helping to create connection, how to create confident, respectful kids, and how to basically not kill your joy, your kid's joy of learning. And we're going to talk about how to bring this into your home, which is so, so cool and important. And it makes a, such a big difference in kids' level of cooperation. So I think you are going to love this episode. Before we dive in, I want to let you know that I, you know, I love being able to offer this podcast but the people I help the most are those that join Mindful Parenting. Someone asked me recently, like, why is this different? Can I just read your book? And there's this big difference between free content, like low cost content, like a book, and then investing in making a difference with something that's a higher investment, like the Mindful Parenting membership. So like when it's free, Basically, you have zero accountability. There's too much information. So we end up like stressed and struggling because we don't have a clear method. We don't have a clear path. There's too much information and we have no accountability, no guidance, and we're just kind of floundering. And that can lead us, you know, can take years and years and years. And so it's great that there's all that information out there and there's like this free podcast, but it can it can be too much, right? So what about something low cost like a book? And it's so it was so interesting because I've talked to a number of the graduates of my coaching programs or mindful parenting. They say like, yes, I have these stacks of books. And you may have this too, like a stack of parenting books. And I've seen the pictures of them. And it's great, like there's all that information and it can be really good. But the problem is the accountability. You know, I love books. I wrote a book. I love raising good humans. And I think it has so much there to offer. But the truth is that we all just do so much better when we have a group that we can connect with, when a person that we can ask personal questions with. And so that's why when people join the Mindful Parenting membership, we have a very strong and active community and we connect people to accountability buddies right away so that you can really be connected and that, so that way you can you know you can soar and then you have a clear method you have a 
step-by-step process. You're not taking in all the information. You're taking in just what you need for the next step. So that really helps enormously. And then you have the support of this whole community, which that almost in itself can make the biggest difference. We don't realize when we're just kind of going it alone, what a big difference it is to know, really realize in your body that you're not alone and to be part of a group, part of a movement. So if you're interested in learning more about mindful parenting, go ahead and go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and get on the wait list. We only open a couple times a year, but get on the wait list and we will send you some awesome information about it so that you can learn more about the methods. So that's mindfulparentingcourse.com. Okay, I think that's all I gotta say before we dive in. Let's talk Montessori. Join me at the table as I talk to Simone Davies. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast, Simone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here today and joining you from Amsterdam. I'm glad to have you here. This is so exciting. We're doing our first video interview. I'm used to like all the video being tossed afterwards, so, but we're here now. We're going to do it. Yay. Uh, um, I love talking about Montessori and, and, you know, I personally, the, the listener, you've already heard me talk about my own experience with Montessori. The, the, you know, my kids have been in Montessori founder of the um the first public charter Montes- a founder of the first first public charter in the state of delaware and um and i i really have a passion for it and i was wondering but if you could tell me though it kind of what i see in some ways are the difference like i want to talk about the idea of like following the child and kind of not killing the spark because the idea for me of not killing the spark was one of the most important things about going into Montessori school. Cause I remember being a kid in school and, and, you know, sitting there like doing this lesson that I was totally uninterested in and really hating, I really hated school in a lot of ways, but I was a, a really smart kid. You know, I was like in the, the advanced, you know, sort of level or whatever, but I, I really hated school in a lot of ways. And it kind of, it, it was this, it sort of, I don't know, it, you know, it just had this d- difficult thing for me. And, it, and it, in some ways it sort of killed that you know, a little bit of that spark, at least while I was in the schoolroom. So can you tell me, I guess, first about, about this idea of the spark, what is it and how, what is different? Why do how do normal classrooms do that? Yeah, I think that it's a beautiful place to start because you're right in traditional systems. I know for myself, I would put up my hand and say, is this in the test? And if it wasn't in the test, I'd stop living, listening. And that's not what we want with our children. We want them to be curious and maintain that spark and that love of learning and the interest in the world around them and the interest in their friends and how they impact society and all those things. Um, And so Montessori is about following the child. And people think, well, if children can do whatever they like, you know, it must be complete chaos. But it's this beautiful approach where... There's mixed age classrooms. So for example, there'll be three to six year olds together in a class and six to nine year olds and nine to 12 year olds in a class, which means that the children who have been in the class longer can model and show the younger children how things work and the younger children's devour, you know, really look up to the older children and the 
teacher, they actually call them a guide because instead of standing at the front of the class, they're there observing all the children all doing their own things and they can see which child needs some more assistance and which child needs the next lesson in something and they just step in to help and then they step back um, to let the children get on and make all the discoveries for themselves. Um, so the types of activities that are available are these beautiful, it's a beautiful curriculum that's really rich with um, tactile hands-on materials. So there's not a lot of workbooks and worksheets or copying off a blackboard. It's really that you go over and you take an activity and you bring it to a table or a work mat. Um, you, there's activities that are a lot done by themselves, but there's also ones that you can do with a partner or a friend. And then when you move into the six to 12 age groups, you actually have a lot of different workspaces, like a table where you could work by yourself, but actually lots of big tables or workspaces where you can collaborate with many people of different age groups. So it's just all about, I don't know, let's find out out and then the children get to touch and feel and they talk a lot about hands-on learning because you may have read this and talked about it a lot before that you understand things better when you actually concretely hold them in your hands rather than just absorbing facts and a formula children in Montessori are discovering the formulas themselves it's really exciting yeah. I mean, I went on this um, sort of tour experience of like my kids Montessori school and went into the six to nine classroom and they had one of these amazing manip manipulatives like for that was like teaching them how to do like the square roots. Right. Or it was, maybe it was a nine to 12 classroom. Anyway, I was looking at that and I finally <laughs> understood square roots for the first time ever in my life, because I'm a really visual person. And all I had ever done before was memorize some formula and it just didn't make sense to me. And I could kind of memorize it enough to get the test. But then I, I finally, um, I finally understood it. And I was like, hallelujah, you know? And so, I, so what you've described this like beautiful overview, it sounds like it, it would be really fun for the kids. It sounds great, but, um, and actually I want to share with you, uh, the whole idea of like the hands-on learning and the tactile stuff. There's, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. There's some um, comedian who once told a joke that was like, oh yeah, my kids are in Montessori school. Like the first year they were there, they learned to like um, mop the floor. And then the second year they were there, they learned to like hang clothes on a clothesline. And then the third year they were there, they learned to use tweezers to move one pom-pom ball to another pom-pom place and then they could read and then the next year there they could like do you know they did you know some other like you know manipulative activity and then they were doing all this math and I didn't understand like it was like you've just done these things and then all of a sudden you can understand all these issues which I think is so hilarious like because these <clears throat> hands-on learning things really get us to these you know, these real deep academic stuff in a really, really great way. But I, I'm really wondering, like, I'm not sure if the listener can maybe understand the idea of like, like what, how this is really different, like from the traditional classroom, right? Like in a traditional classroom, you know, you know, you may not have every desk in a row these days, you may have clusters or a circle, but basically what's happening is like all the kids are learning the same thing at the same time. And I wonder if you could talk to about like why that's problematic. Yeah, so if you're sitting there passively learning, the teacher decides what you need to learn today. So you've got no motivation, particularly in a area of your interest or that you feel like doing that. And like, I don't wake up every day feeling like I'm energetic and keen to do the same thing. Sometimes I want to start with reading. And then, you know, if as a child, they might want to, do maths first another child wants to start with their language work so every child can work with their interests with their how their energy is at that moment um and when you're passively learning you're also like you have no um 
active involvement in discovering anything. They're just giving you facts for you to, you know, put into a worksheet or to make into a PowerPoint. Where with Montessori, the children are taking an interest and researching it and six to 12 year olds will call up a place and find out more information and actually go and do visits outside of the classroom. Um, so it's really about engaging the learners as opposed to them being passive. So you're choosing what you want to work on. You're choosing the area of interest that you feel like working on. And then you have workbooks that, um, you know, a register to keep track of what you're working on so that you make sure you're covering all the areas. And the teacher's responsibility is also to help you, guide you. So if you're avoiding a particular area, that's one parent's, you know, main concern is like, oh, what if my child never is interested in maths? Then it's the teacher's responsibility to say, okay, they might not be interested in maths right now, but how can I lay the foundation? and make sure that they're moving forward in that area or get them interested in counting the number of words in a book if they're a really big bookish you know child and finding a way to come to that so the child is going to be more interested and so these hands-on activities that you were talking about about practical life activities it's really fun because people think you know why are they like just learning to mop the floor but there's actually so many processes that are involved in these practical life activities um, where you learn to look after the environment it's not oh you know you did made a mistake you have to clean it up it's just like oh I spilled something so I, I clean it up so I take responsibility so they're learning about how to be a citizen in their classroom um, they're learning like a sequence of activities so when you're doing the washing up for example after your snack you'll need to go and get a jug and take it over to the sink and get some water and you probably pass a friend or two along the way and you can't get distracted by what else they're doing working on and then you come back and you pour the water and you're learning a lot of fine motor skills by you know controlling the movement so you don't spill a drop and if you do spill a drop then there's a cloth at the ready so you can again take responsibility and clean it up and then you are working on your hand skills as you squeeze the soap in. Anyway, there's lots of little steps. And this is all to do with building executive functioning skills as well. And they also feel really capable and that they're making a difference in the space. So those small steps, those practical life skills are teaching them a lot about being in society. And as they move into the six to 12 age groups, those kind of things will be looking at, oh, not just my classroom, but how they can, you know, service the community. And then there's adolescent will go and how they can be um, a citizen of the world. So yeah, they all build on each other. Yeah. And it's fascinating. Like when my oldest daughter came home in her, I guess it was either four to, it was, I can't remember what age it was, but then when she first came home with her planner um, in maybe it was fourth grade or something like that. And she came home with her planner and she said, you know, she talked about how she has to plan out her week. Like she has to figure out where, you, you know, you, you get this work plan, you, you work chunk of time that that's sort of open and she has to figure out, she has to keep track of what she needs to get done for the week and do that for the week. And I thought, oh my God, like, this is so brilliant. Like I had to do this in college, like when I got to college or high school or, you know, maybe a little bit, but like she's doing it in fourth grade. I mean, that makes so much sense for her to be able to do this in this really safe environment. And, and it was like this practical life thing where they walk them through how to use a planner and, and what to do, you know, do all those different steps. We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. 
I highly recommend this podcast. It's really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Yeah, and some children are going to need more help with that, you know, and so it's scaffolding the skills. Some children are naturally quite good at it and others are like, okay, they actually have like a meeting every week with the teacher. So what went well? What do you need more help with? Um, And so they can kind of keep correcting and seeing where they need more guidance. And I think that's great because every child learns in a different way. And so the teacher's there to give just as much help as necessary um, and let the child get on and do the rest as much as possible. So it's really beautiful. And, and Maria Montessori, who founded Montessori, she talked about like, what is it called? Like learning, uh, there's like mo- times, right? Where we're primed to learn certain things. And we think we can, this is pretty obvious when a kid is learning to walk, right? Like it's at different ages. You're not going to hurry it up <laughs> by doing whatever, right? Like it's, it, it just happens when it happens that the child has, and, and I forget, what is it called? That, it's that called moment. the sensitive periods. The sensitive period, yes. Um, Tell us about what this is, because I think this is so important for us to realize like we I don't know, you know, when when we're when we're growing up with a in a more traditional system, you know, you just you think of learning kind of really basically like we give you this information, you take it in 
and that's that. And then we test it, test you on it and whatnot. Like we just kind of imagine that kids are this like sort of like receptacles for this information and that's how we learn, but, but that's not really true. And you, you talked to like the whole idea of like interest increases your intelligence, right? Like, you know, when you're, you're interested, you're, you're really, you know, it increases how much you're going to learn it. And, and so tell us about these sensitive periods. That, I always forget what that is called. No, that's okay. And it's really useful because that's the reason that Montessori works. Because if no, every child wasn't, didn't have sensitive periods to learning language or to learning mathematics, then you would have to force the information in. But Dr. Montessori noticed that children just naturally become interested in these things during certain periods. And it's going to differ for every child, but there's some guidelines. So if the child's in, like language really starts from birth, right through to in the first six years and you can think of a baby who's starting they can make the sound of any language in the world and then by eight months just the sounds that they hear around them so um and then so the sensitive period they're sucking it in they're like absorbing taking from their environment like a sponge um all of the words of vocabulary and making them into sentences by the time that they're three years old so it's amazing so this sensitive period meant that you didn't have to force sit down a two-year-old and give them grammar lessons did you you didn't say you know dad is sitting on the chair you just said the words and gradually they might say dad sit chair and then they started getting and conjugating all of the verbs as they went along and so by the same principles a child who may be interested in reading they might not be interested in reading when they're three. They might not be showing any interest in four. They're doing a lot of indirect preparation, you know, learning from left to right and lots of things like this about crossing the midline, but they're not interested in reading. So we're reading to them. We're exposing them to language. They're involving them in conversation. And then one day when they're five or six or seven and they start showing interest in saying, oh, what does that say? Oh, look at this. That says, but that's the, na- that's the letter my name starts with. Then you realize, oh, they're in a sensitive period for reading right now. And then you can really use follow this spark their interest and you start showing them all of the beautiful hands-on materials that there are for learning to read there's beautiful sandpaper letters where they can touch this rough surface of like the letter a and then they hear a and they see a so it appeals to visual learners kinesthetic learners oral learners and so many different ways and then what i love about montessori as well is you scaffold the skills on so that there's not just like one day you have to learn the whole word you've been building these little skills all the time and then one day they go at cat and they realize that they actually can read the word because actually in Montessori they learn to write before they read which I also think is really fun as well because children can um, learn the beginning sounds k, and then they get a letter a and they use a movable alphabet to spell it out and then t but if you ask them what it spells then there's another step which is to synthesize it so actually they can write little letters to you just by manipulating these hands-on materials to write kutatu. They don't even need to be able to write the letter yet because you're giving them the materials that if they can make a sentence before they're even ready to read. So there's sensitive periods for language, there's sensitive periods for maths, um, there's sensitive periods for order and lots of things like this. And knowing that your child will come to it when their sensitive period is activated means you can relax and trust that the child will learn when they're ready. I think you've hit on a really tough Part for people that relaxing and, and trusting that the sensitive period is, 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 you know, that they will have that. What, what, what do you, you know, how do you help, how do we help parents who are worried that their kids won't make, you know, won't be interested in reading, won't be interested in math, won't be interested in writing? Yeah, it's, it, is, it takes a lot of trust. And so I give examples like uh, my son, his best friend was not interested in reading at all. And 
So you can also do testing if you're really worried that something's not going ahead. I actually rather be proactive if you think that there's no development in language, but usually there's, you're seeing signs of interest. This child wasn't interested in reading at all. And then at the age of seven, they went from not reading at all to reading a whole Harry Potter by the end of the year. Wow. And my son had been reading since he was five and he wasn't ready for Harry Potter at seven, you know? So it just showed that if you just trust and wait, then they actually, when they're super interested in it, it will come so naturally and it won't be like forcing it in. And other people are also worried, like, what if I missed the sensitive period? What if I didn't really notice, you know, my child's now you know, eight and they're not reading. It doesn't mean that they've missed it. It's just a bit more like me learning Dutch. I've lived here for 14 years, but it's, it doesn't mean I had to force it a little bit more. It's like going back to the old way where you have to maybe learn and do some exercises and that kind of thing. But the sensitive period, when you find that sweet spot, it just goes in so naturally. Mm. And they see it all the time because you don't force the child to learn to walk and they just can't stop themselves from walking. So you're like, just sitting on your hands and watching your child blossom in front of you um, is the best skill that a parent can learn. So when I work with parents, I'm quite passionate about it. I run a parent child group with for, um, families with children up to four years old. So I'm, teaching them the trust by come, let's sit on the side and watch what's happening right now. Let's watch their social development. Let's watch their cognitive development, the things they're learning. Let's watch their fine motor skills, their gross motor skills. Um, let's watch their independence. And today that's where it is. And let's see where it is in 10 weeks and let's see where it is in, and they can't just believe they can't keep up with what's going on, you know? So they actually get to see it happening in front of their eyes. I love how you're inviting this curiosity, right? Like as a teacher of mindfulness, that's something I'm always really interested in is like it, bringing people into a place of curiosity rather than judgment. And you're kind of, you're kind of talking to that. And I think that if we look at the kind of the opposite, you know, the kind of the traditional system when we're, when we're forced to, you know, when, if we're forced to learn, I don't know, like addition, when we're not in that sensitive period, we would resent it, right? Like it would be a lot harder and we start to resent it. Right. And so it's actually, that's what I think of as like killing that spark of learning is like kill, having that resentment for, for teachers or learning in general, right. That we see that that's really common. I think people often think like, what's the point? I don't understand why I'm learning this. It doesn't mean anything, you know, but when it comes from your interest, then you're much more engaged in the outcome and yeah, you're going to be much more involved in the outcome. And that's why you want to learn more and more and more. And I love that like children have such wild differences. Like I've had a child in a class who's fascinated by bells. And so they started exploring cities around here when you could travel, you know, that had bell towers and that you, there's so much you can do about bells because there's some really enormous bells and they make different tones by the size of them. And I mean, who knew that this was going to be a whole learning opportunity just because this child was interested in bells. And there was another child that I knew who was really young and he was really interested in maps. So they started by making maps of their local area. And then they'd go onto Google Maps and they'd start finding the rivers and they'd start mapping out rivers. And I, I just think it's fascinating that you can use a point of interest. And even like I have parents who say, well, my child only is interested in playing with vehicles. Like that, they're not really learning anything. I'm like, okay, well, let's sit and see what they're actually doing. And then they realize, oh, look, they've lined them all up by color or they've lined them up by a type of like, they've all got the digger function. And then there's the vocabulary that goes along it. So everyone who comes to my classes very fast, quickly learns that this is a front wheel 
loader and this is an excavator and this is a bulldozer and you have to know and understand all of the differences but like I just thought they were trucks and they're like ah oh, they see there's language opportunities here and if my child's interested in language but they're not so interested in doing any self-expression I might you know set up a, something that's like an invitation for them to draw uh, those kind of things or a play-doh where they can dig with their vehicles in the play-doh um, or go and do some outings where you can go and visit a fire station and then they could even journal about that later and yeah there's, there's so many learning opportunities around your child's interest if you like this show there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the shameless mom academy hi i'm sarah dean the founder and host of the shameless mom academy the shameless mom academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. So I'd love for if you could kind of describe the environment and describe how this works. Cause I think sometimes like a lot, you know, I know a lot of listeners are, you know, there's teachers who are listeners and parents and to kind of see how this environment works. Like it, it all sounds, I can really hear like the listener saying like, this all sounds really great, but like, oh my God, like how, what does classroom management like? Is this crazy chaos? And like, what's happening? People are individually doing work. How do people manage that? And I remember just going into my, when my oldest daughter was going in as a toddler, 18 months and just being amazed at the, what was happening in this like, kind of like purposeful buzz of activity and just like this quiet, it wasn't super loud. Shout out to Holly Knox, who was the most amazing Montessori toddler teacher ever, um, which we were lucky to have. But um, I mean, then she did things with them. Like they made scrambled eggs and blueberry muffins and all this stuff. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, how are you doing that with 20 toddlers around what's happening. So, you know, maybe you could kind of imagine we're w w walking into a, 
a, a classroom and kind of describe how does this environment work for people who are kind of confused as to how there's any possible order to any of this? So actually, what I love about, you know, mindfulness and Montessori is they're both about intention. And we are so intentional in how we prepare the environment. And in fact, we call the environment like a second teacher, um, because we prepare the environment with such care, because it's not just us teaching, but their hands on experiences. So when you walk into my classroom, there's an area where they can do like fine motor um, puzzles and threading and lots of manipulatives there's even a basket I'm working with like younger children say under three so like that toddler age and there's like a basket where they can open and close purses and find little objects inside and so everything in that area is so engaging they just want to go and choose something and start straight away so if you find a child's interest they get deep into focus um, which actually helps the whole concentration that buzz of activity you were talking about and then if they they might be attracted to the language area and there I've got vocabulary baskets so there would be a basket get a vehicles with different vehicles and that they can match them to the pictures and they're learning that a 2d object matches a 3d object um, a picture a 2d picture matches a 3d object mm -hmm. and then there's a, a beautiful inviting um, self-expression area or art and craft so where there's a, a tray with a pencil and some paper there's some um, next to that is my clay where they can sculpt and things like that then there's cutting so we have scissors even for under three-year-olds with strips so they can be successful at learning to snip um, and there's sewing and all those kind of things there's always an easel with paint available um, and not just that that the adults going to do it but there's actually clips that they can manage themselves so they can hang up their painting when they're done and there's more paper at the ready so if they want to repeat it they can um, in the reading corner there's beautiful books that are really beautifully illustrated very thoughtfully chosen um, in lots of different subject areas uh, and then we, I have a quarter of my classroom for gross motor movement and music so that they can do a climb up a climbing wall there's a cozy cube if they want more quiet time um, or they can you know play in the all the musical instruments and dance together and then what you were talking about is all the baking together and doing the practical life skills so we often spend most of the morning preparing snack um, cutting apples and peeling apples making orange juice together and then they learn to set the table and so the environment's so carefully prepared so that everything they see there's only the right number of pieces to fit in the puzzle like we don't put out a piece of puzzle or a piece is missing but there's also not extra pieces that don't belong somewhere so that everything has a place and a, a, everything in its place um and then so there's order and structure but there's also a lot of freedom in that structure so the child can choose whatever they like as long as no one else is working with it and then we encourage them and we show them over time how they put it back and the older children are modeling that they've learned how to put things back on the shelf so again that mixed age group also helps so there's so many things that go into making that beautiful hum that you talked about but the carefully prepared environment the mixed age groups and then the uh, like you say, they're like a saint, these teachers who have a lot of patience, really engage the child, or we often use fewer words. So we might just say, look, and then just really slow down our movements, you know, to show them how a lock opens, where normally we're saying, look, and it opens now. And we're just giving so much information and they don't know whether to look at us or to listen to what we're saying. And so we've practiced in, you know, we're really well trained and we've worked with these children for a very long time so that we can really accept each child for who they are, where they're at. And that's how the magic happens. So it's so cool because yeah, like no matter what you're describing a toddler classroom, but like no matter what age you are, you can w move around the room as you need to, you don't have to like raise your hand and ask to go to the bathroom. 
you can <clears throat> stand and stretch if you want to, you know, you can kind of take care of your body in that way. Um, now, so do you find that like with an environment like this, like I've always wondered, you know, some people ask me and I don't really know because I'm not an expert, even though I've been involved in, in Montessori schools, um, you know, whether it's appropriate for p kids of different, different age or, or different kind of like um, levels of, of skill. Like do, can a kid with special needs um, be served by an a Montessori environment and things like that? I definitely think that because we treat each child uniquely, that it means that children with any ability or is accepted in our space because one, we're also doing a lot of observation ourselves and a lot of non-judgment. We're not putting people into, um, you know, boxes. Instead, we're looking at what is this child capable of? What are their needs right now? And how can I best meet those needs? So it doesn't matter if they are maybe behind because I have a, a piece of material that is going to engage them and meet them where they're at. And we actually had one child, for example, with cerebral palsy, whose cognitive skills were surpassing the two and a half, you know, of her age, but her body, she didn't actually have the physical skills to be able to stand and carry the tray. So then we can modify it. We can say, this is what she wants to work with. We'll help you get that material to a table for you to work at it, or we'll modify, make a place where you can work with it. Um, and so they're really accepted. And I think it's so important actually for all children to have people with different needs in the classroom, because that's how we really learn to not only know ourselves, but how we learn to get along with all people and understand that everyone has different needs and we're all at different stages and we can help in one area and another child will be good at something else and we all work together. What about kids with like attention issues, ADHD, that kind of thing? Yeah, and I think it also really appeals to them as well um, I, because usually attention deficit is because they actually have to wait and listen to the teacher. You know, it's completely distracting. They can't get up. They usually need to move a lot. They often kind of aesthetic learners. And so I've had some children who may eventually be labeled ADHD, but when they found the activity that they really were interested in right now, they, get, they really repeat and repeat and practice it until they've mastered it. And they can get really deep concentration. So I think for most children, um, I'm not an expert in ADHD, but I would say that when you find the thing that interests that child, then that's when they get deep, um, deep concentration and love of learning and you're meeting their needs and then you're meeting the needs of all everyone in the classroom because they're engaged and settled and focused. And there's so much opportunity for learning as well in a social situation where if you know that there's a child who has difficulty and may interrupt people, then you're all working as a class. How can I help this child? How can we make them feel loved you know and they also talk about bullying and things like that like um the child who is bullying is not feeling like loved themselves so how actually can we help the bully just as much as the person being bullied mm, I love that that's so um that's beautiful. I love that. And actually I have to say in my kids experience, so now I have an eighth grader in Montessori and in eighth grade Montessori classroom. And, you know, they're very accepting. Like I, I can't, like, it's hard to imagine bullying situations in the school. Like it's really, really hard to imagine that, that happening. So this all sounds amazing. <laughs> and I hope everybody's like super excited to like check out the Montessori situations near you and, and what's available. Um, but there's, we can also take some of these principles, right. And bring them home. And, you know, I remember, it's interesting. Cause like I've seen, I've seen both at work and see kind of the opposite when we don't even think about it. Like, um, 
my brother, I love him, but his daughter is like five years old and had to ask every single time she wanted a glass of water. He had to get up, go to the fridge, get her glass, get her water to get her water. And I'm like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> wouldn't it be simple to make her a little station where she could get her own water? And I remember like, you know, screwing in these little, uh, the little hooks, you know, at like three feet off the ground. So my kids could hang up their own jackets. So those are some of the things I did to put it, bring that into my environment and also simplifying like the spaces a lot, but tell me what, you know, uh, how can we, how can we bring some of this home? I think that it's absolutely right. One part is how we set up our home so that they can be independent and having things accessible because they are so capable. I mean, pretty much from one and a half to two years old to having a low um, water station is great. And then a one and a half year old will just have less water out because you only put out as much as you want to clean up, right, as well. Because yeah. you can say, oh, I listened to these great podcasts about Montessori. So I put out a big jug of water and then there was a big spill and then you end up, you know, losing Don't your temper because that. it's too much. So <laughs> It's also about knowing like limits on things. Um, and then it's about engaging activities. So I think so many times I go and visit homes and there's just way too many toys. And so the parents say, oh, they never know what to do. And when I look around, I also wouldn't know how to choose. It's like going to a supermarket. There's way too many mueslis. Like you'll spend 15 minutes just making one selection where if you're observing your child and you're seeing what they're really interested in and you choose just six activities. And I like to actually set them out like they have in the Montessori classroom where they're on a tray or in a basket so that it's really easy. Okay, this is the cutting work. I'm going to go and try that. And then you notice, oh, that's actually too difficult. What I'll do is I'll make it a simpler version or that's actually not challenging them anymore. Maybe I'll make it more difficult by you know, and changing it up that way. And then the other part of Montessori parenting that we can bring into our homes is that trust. Like, okay, I'm giving my child um, the chance to pour their own glass of water, but do am I showing them that I trust them to, you know, actually do that? So that takes a lot of patience, observation. And so I love to teach parents about a lot of the parenting skills that they can also apply. So, um, but for example, I think the easiest place to start is setting up your home, like you said. So when you walk in the entrance and you have low hooks where they can hang up their bag and their jackets and maybe even a small stool that they can sit on so that they can be successful in taking their shoes on and off. And I'm really fine with them wearing gum boots, um, rain boots, I guess you would call them. I used yeah, to was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rain boots like every day if that's easier for them right now. But then eventually then learning to tie laces is actually being really patient and think, how can a child learn to tie laces? You have to really break down all of the movements into very small things. First, it's just crossing over the laces. Then it's tucking it through and thinking like a Montessori teacher, how can I break it down into the very smallest steps so that they can be successful? And we might not get to the, tie the whole lace for three weeks, but we're just practicing the first step until they master that part. Um, and then in the kitchen, like I love having things at the child's height. So even if you come to my class, um, my home now, all of the plates and bowls are down low, like in a low cupboard so that everyone who comes to visit my house can get themselves a glass of water or they can get a plate to help set the table. Um, and that's such an easy thing to do. Learning towers are very fashionable nowadays, which means that the child can get up to the height of the kitchen. But when my kids were small, because they're now 18 and 20, um, I just had a stepladder, you know, from a hardware store. And so I could also put it away because we didn't have such a big kitchen. And so I'd, they'd be able to step up and come. I've got a photo of my daughter. She's about 16 months old and she's making herself a honey sandwich at the top of the stairs. Um, <laughs> and... Um, 
in their bedroom, you know, how can I make it so they can actually choose their clothes? Because I think getting dressed in the morning is one of our least favorite things, but actually seeing that as a moment of connection. Well, actually, I'm going to put my phone away. I'm not going to expect them to be able to get dressed by themselves, but I'm going to give them simple choices um, so I can say, would you like to choose a t-shirt today? And there's just a couple of choices for them to choose. Okay, I want to wear the red one. And if they're really wanting to wear the pink um, tutu, but they're not allowed to wear it, then don't even have it available because you're just going to get into an argument. So again, Again, taking the time to think ahead, what do I want them to be able to choose from? It makes life much easier to just keep getting them involved in the house and simplifying things so they're attractive and that they can be independent and accessible. Yeah, you're really talking about a lot of a lot of simplifying here, and it's it really helps enormously. It just helps so much. Like we did that, we had like two shelves, and we had six things out that they could play with and they had space around them, you know, on the shelves and they would go and, you know, get the like blocks or get the whatever. And, and it was, you know, it was like, okay, like when cleanup time came, it was like, wasn't hard, you know, it it really preparing the environment in that way really reduces a lot of the drama. It sounds like there's a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of um, independence, right? And it's a lot of like working together, you know, so we're developing their own skills too. Um, One thing my kids can do, which I think is really neat is that they're really able to talk to adults um, in a very easy and sincere way. One thing that they in the monastery classroom that in, at least in my kids, they called the adults by the first name. And I, at first I was like, I wasn't so sure if I liked that. And now I've come around to really liking that because it just is like a very simple presentation. It's like, there's not this, I guess, a a big sense of hierarchy in between. Um, I feel sometimes actually now even a little uncomfortable when I'm introduced to my friend's kids as like Miss Hunter or something like that, or, 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 you know, something. And the other thing they did that was neat that I wonder if you could talk to is like, they came in and they looked each, my, each child in the eye and held their hand and shook their hand and said, hello, and how are you? And I thought that was so cool. And so now my kids have this ability to talk to adults, to speak comfortably in a lot of situations. Um, and I, I think it pretty much stems from that. Is that universal? Do you do that in Amsterdam as well? Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the one thing that I noticed the first time I entered a Montessori classroom was how respectful the teachers were, not only to us, but to the children. They spoke to them in the same way. They didn't patronize them. They really, um, they didn't dumb things down for them. So that is that mutual respect is that if I am not the boss of you, but I guide you and I am respectful, then you earn that respect back. And then the children learn amazing vocabulary because, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I'll say there's a Labrador, there's a golden retriever, there's a Dalmatian. I'll give them as much vocabulary as I know. So they're learning and, you know, rich language. Um, We have conversations and we ask open questions and discussions. And, you know, these children from six to 12 are so capable and they really start to talk about the most exciting ideas of how they're going to save the world, really. You know, I remember cycling to school one day and my children were saying, okay, so pollution is the big problem. So what if we can use pollution as a fuel source? And then the only problem is, is once we've used up all of the pollution, there'll be nothing to, you know, fuel the cars. And so, you know, just little ideas like this to keep 
their interest in the world and social issues and they can have yeah these really rich conversations it all stems back to respect and the the teacher teaching each yeah treating each child with respect it goes a long way right yeah and it's a it's like it goes back to like what we what i talk about in parenting in mindful parenting a lot too is like we treat kids kind of as a culture, like we're very disrespectful to kids where we treat them as less than we bark orders at them, right? We do all these things and we don't realize it. I'm not saying that to shame or blame or judge anyone at all, because this is just like the, 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 you know, the air that we breathe is that right. That is part of the culture, but this is a really different culture that you're describing. Yeah, and I think it is beautiful because these children grow up to be respectful to others, to have rich conversations and rich conversations with people who we know are great, but rich conversations with people who think differently from us and taking the time to listen and not argue against them. But like, I'm curious why you think that. And I'm curious if I, why you think that too. And sometimes you might even say, you know, I actually changed my mind about that because I listened to you, you know, like it's kind of cool for them to hear that. And I think a lot of it also comes back to modeling because they have to see us make mistakes and apologize and do all of those things as well. So it's not just expecting that we're going to, you know, churn out these perfect children because we're not perfect ourselves and they need to know some self-compassion and what to do. But we're also modeling empathy, like from birth. I mean, I work with babies as well. And if a child bumps their head, I don't say, oh, don't worry about it. I say, ow, a bump can hurt. And they kind of just seem to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they often stop faster than when I'm, you know, trying to distract them and not really acknowledging their feelings. So there's so many layers to being respectful but it's also about acknowledging when someone's having a hard time and loving them at their worst you know because sometimes a child will be having a hard day and to know that they're still loved and that you'll help them make amends with a friend who they because they got it wrong you know the skills that we're building you know citizens of the world this is so beautiful you're describing all the reasons i i love this it's so in line in alignment with mindful parenting and what we do um before we go, maybe, you know, this is, we've, you know, we talked about how Montessori in the classroom and a little bit about bringing it into our own lives. Can, can you talk a little bit, you know, we talk, speaking to this respectful um, parenting thing and, and uh, can you, are there any kind of mindset shifts or any kind of ways that uh, for, for people who are kind of, who are sort of a little bit on the fence, is there, are there some ways that we can start to shift the way we're thinking about it? Does that make sense, that question? Yeah, I think one of the things I always like to say is to see things through our child's eyes. So a toddler, for example, who's snatching another toy off another child, we're thinking, oh, they're naughty, you know, they're not waiting their turn. But actually, if you look through your child's eyes, they see a toy they like, I'd like a toy, turn with it right now. And so they just start pulling it. And they're new to this world so they're still learning to take turns so instead if i instead of saying don't touch that you know that it's not your turn or we have to share you know or we come instead by looking through their eyes it looks like you really wanted to turn with that yeah it's hard to wait and then just waiting to see if they maybe even take their hands off first is like oh i can't let you take it out of their hands and you're just very you're helping guide them um so i would say always look through their child's eyes i do the same with like teenagers For example, when my daughter was 14, she wanted to go to a concert um, in the middle of Amsterdam. And thinking as an adult, I'm like, I'm not letting my child go to a concert like at a venue without any parents. What are you thinking? But looking through her eyes, she thinks she's ready for a concert and she feels safe. So how can she get to go to the concert and I do as much as possible to keep her safe? And then we work together 
um, kind of similar to what Alfie Cohen would say is like, how can I find ways that everyone can have their needs met? So we worked out that I would feel comfortable because I didn't know the girl she was going with, that they'd come over to our house and have some pizza together. And then I'd cycle with them to the venue and I would sit in the cafe on the corner and watch them go in. And then I explained that, you know, people can spike your drinks and things like that. And they was too scared today. You didn't even have anything to drink the whole time they were there. And then I would pick them up early at the end of the concert at 11 o'clock. And I wasn't the only parent that was there, but they got to go to their concert. Um, they were as safe as they could be. And we managed to, instead of me saying, you know, you're not going, and then she might be want to sneak out behind my back and not trust me, you know? And then there were other times when I had to, you know, say, yeah, I don't feel safe. Um, you, um, my son wanted to go. He was 16 on a boat with some friends. And I'm like, actually, I, I think all of your friends are really responsible, but I'm more worried about like, if there's bad weather or someone does drink and gets really silly, you know, I can't feel safe about that. And they ended up finding um, a place where they could go um, that was safe. And then I was okay with them going away together. So it's like sometimes having to say no, but they'll know that you've really tried to find all those things. So it's just seeing through their perspective. They're not trying to be naughty. They're not trying to push the bounds. Boundaries. They're not trying to, they just, yeah, see things through the child's eyes. Would that help? Do you think? Yes, absolutely. I love that. That's a beautiful way to end. And you're talking about, you know, just being open-minded, like honoring your own um, instincts about safety and, and, you know, honoring that, what, what's within you as the parent, but also then holding that and instead of, and saying, well, and you want this really badly. Let's let's explore it further. Let me be open-minded, and and looking looking at everybody's needs. It's really really a lovely way um, and, and a beautiful shift. Let's look through our child's eyes. So beautiful. Um, all right. Well, Simone, it's been really a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, where can people find out more about you and and talk take this conversation further if they'd like to? Yeah, well, I, there's lots of resources over at themontessorinotebook.com um, or if you like Instagram, I post over there as well. And I would just love to connect with you and keep sharing my love of Montessori. And I always say that I love to spread peace and positivity around the world, just one family at a time. Because if your family makes a little difference, you know, someone at the park might notice that you're doing something a little bit differently and that might inspire them to find out a little bit more about some of the mindful parenting or some Montessori parenting as well. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Simone. It's been a real pleasure. Likewise, I've had so much fun. I love getting to talk Montessori with you. Thank you so much for listening. Doesn't that just make you so excited about Montessori and making your home more accessible and getting like tools and stuff for your kids? I love recommending, they're not a sponsor, I'm not an affiliate at all, but I love recommending the Four Small Hands catalog online. They used to be catalogs. That's <laughs> how old that, that is for me, but it's called Four Small Hands. And they have all these like real tools for kids that they can use, which is so cool. Uh, little, the wavy cutter. Oh, I remember them on their stool with the wavy cutter. So yeah, I hope you dive into putting all those hooks down low in your house because it, it really makes a huge difference in cooperation and all those things. So I hope you enjoyed it. I'm so glad to be able to connect with you and hope that it's been helpful. Let me know if it has. Take a take a screenshot of whatever you're listening to this on and 
connect with me on Instagram. That's where you can see the back behind the scenes of all my life at Mindful Mama Mentor. And also we have a private Facebook group that you can get in more involved in. So go ahead and check that out. We have some amazing episodes coming up for you. We're going to be talking about kids' anxiety. We're talking about screen time for little kids or you know why we should delay screen time for little kids. Next week, we'll be talking about what is mindful parenting with my awesome community manager, Lynn Weller. This is a really, and so it's kind of like a reverse interview with me. <laughs> so I hope you'll enjoy that. And I can't wait to connect with you then. So I'll be back in your inbox and wherever you listen to podcasts next Tuesday. And thank you so much. I wish you well. I wish you peace. I wish you a beautiful day today and just some moments of gratitude and appreciation for this wild and precious journey that we're on. And and if you're overwhelmed and struggling, I, I wish you those moments of peace and rest. And I'll be back to talk to you soon. Thank you so much, my friend. Namaste. I say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.